man, everyone wants everything to be perfect. You guys don't understand. You don't get that. That's a luxury. You get that through reps. You yep. never get that in the beginning. I want to first off welcome everybody back to the internet's number one success podcast, Into the Mind, where we break down and analyze the characteristics, skills, strategies, and systems of successful entrepreneurs so that together we can learn from their experiences, be inspired by their stories and victories, and replicate their formulas for success. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, former parkour athlete turned entrepreneur and real estate investor, and I am on a mission to help 7.8 billion people achieve success personally, professionally, and financially by empowering their minds and connecting them to the right people. Today, my guest is a man who, from the first time I spoke to him, I found instant alignment. We connected through a mutual friend, and immediately he led with value. He's smart, he's kind, he's articulate, he's funny, and he does a stellar job growing himself, his business, and the people around him. He went from being a solopreneur doing around $100,000 a year in sales to a stubborn, or let me say this, to not being stubborn anymore and running a team of A-plus players doing over $3 million a year in sales. Where others spent their youth partying and learning how to build someone else's dream, he buckled down, put his mind to a purpose, and began building his ideal life. He's becoming a disruptor in the real estate investing space by showing individuals the blueprint to a seven-figure business by flipping dirt, and he created a community for people to learn about land investing. To date, he's helped over 171 individuals create a full-time income by flipping land, and in this episode, we're going to dive into his origin story, learn about the stones he had to overturn before learning how to turn over land to make profits. So help me in welcoming Sumner Healy. Well, Sumner, what's up? <laughs> Thank you, man. That was the hands down the best intro I've ever experienced on any podcast. That was awesome, man. Happy <laughs> to be here. My name is Sumner Healy. It's an honor, and I'm excited to hopefully share something with the community, your community, that might be totally new to them, the world of flipping dirt. So I'm excited, man. Thanks for having me here. Yo, I'm excited for you, man. So people see you flipping dirt now, and I want to dive into the origin story because that is not where you started. And typically, everybody has a, a place where they came from. I'm curious to know, what do you credit as your origin story? Like, what got you into investing, into real estate, into business? Yeah. And we got to rewind the clocks pretty far, so I, I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to be frank. I mean, I was a pretty weird kid, and I grew up in, in interesting circumstances. Like, My mom was living in a teepee before she had me in Big Sur. I grew up in the central coast of California. Uh, my dad was a total hippie. Like, parents were hardcore hippies. And we moved into town for first grade. And I was just like an oddball, man. I got held back. I got put in special needs classes. I couldn't even draw a circle. I had like all sorts of weird motor skills. And I was shy. I just felt like an outcast, honestly. And, you know, it's kind of like that classic, like from the bottom to the top story. I definitely like had a chip on my shoulder, a big chip on my shoulder. And everyone in my family was entrepreneurial. No one was like radically successful, but everyone like had their thing. So that was kind of the blueprint laid in front of me. And we also didn't have much money, right? Like most entrepreneurs, like that's always the origin story. I single mom, I didn't have money, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I think it was beyond just the money motivation thing. Like, of course, that was a part of it. Mm -hmm. But once I started to get into the, the idea of not like a specific business, but just business, like the concept of business was so fascinating to me. It was like, for me, it was a language. It was a way that I, I had a hard time connecting with people. I had a hard time feeling like I was good at anything. I never like played sports growing up or any of that stuff. And so to be able to like transact and like create something, either a service or a product and people trade with you, like it was a language, it was a way for me to connect with the world. And it sounds kind of corny. It was a, it was a bit of my art, honestly. And like every waking hour from my freshman year to my first few years in college, everything was just studying business, all sorts of businesses, weird businesses, man. I started oodles and oodles of bizarre businesses. And so honestly, I think it was like, it was, it was a multitude of factors. It was a chip on the shoulder. It was the not having money. And it was like, I don't know how else I can give something to the world. I think at the core of every human, we want to feel like we are doing something that's needed by the world and something that checks our own boxes when we do it. Like it feels good for us. And the world's also saying, we love this. We want this. We want more of this. And that was my way to do it, man. I wasn't going to be the smartest kid. I wasn't going to be the, the most athletic. So that was, uh, 
that's what got me kicked off. And I had a whole slew of businesses. I mean, my, my first grade and first grade, the year I got held back, actually, I almost got expelled as well. I started like a candy selling ring. All these kids, it's kind of illegal, stealing candy from the store down the street, giving it to me. Then I was selling it and the parents got involved because the kids were stealing money from their parents to pay for the candy. And like I had garage sales almost every weekend in first and second and third grade. And I'd go buy stuff at the Goodwill just to have a garage sale. It's just in my nature, man. I feel like I, I literally feel like it, it, it's just in my DNA. I couldn't resist it. I couldn't. No, I love that. So you've always had that in you to, to get up and to go flip. In fact, I was going through your Instagram and you made a post back in July 4th talking about how you had even dropped out of college to pursue business and that you started up just like going and grabbing textbooks. And at one point <laughs> you're sleeping like in the garage, like textbooks are piled up by your bed. And yeah. this is just like your inventory. And this is just like, you got to the place where you're like, you're flipping like these 600 books. And yep. I mean, were you looked at strangely for having this obsession? Like where you're like, did you have friends that like came along with you or were you just kind of the outcast doing this? Yeah. I was at, dude, it's funny. I think there's anyone that's gone from being not successful to maybe a little bit successful. You're no longer the outcast when you've proven it. But mm -hmm. up until that point, I'm a weirdo. But then you do it and everyone's like, wow, you're pretty cool. I should hang out with you more. Can I call you? Can, we, can I take you to coffee? Can I chat? So yeah, dude, I was definitely the outcast for a long time. And for me, I was like my first kind of dance with business. So when I was in high school, I tried starting some photography businesses. I take photos for real estate agents. I'd sell it to the real estate agent, sell it to the, the architect, the contractor, and sometimes even the painter. These was like high-end homes in Pebble Beach. So really nice area in California. And it was a hard business. I was like, this is a little tricky. I, I, I mean, especially for a young guy, like the communication part, I was like coordinated with all these people. The actual like fulfillment of the service was tricky. So I was like, what's like the simplest business? Like, well, taking something that I, I know is already in demand, taking it from one marketplace, getting it at a discount, taking it to another marketplace and selling it at a premium. Like just, it's like the oldest business in the book, just arbitrage something that people already want. And so when I was in college, that's how I stumbled into the textbook stuff. And dude, I was so weird. So weird. I mean, I like, it is like the classic like startup story with like books stacked up in your bedroom. I had a lovely lady at the time. We're no longer together, but still love her dearly. Still a friend to this day. Her name was Carly. It's my first girlfriend. And she slept in the garage with me in our, our stack of dusty books. Um, but that business was the catalyst to saying, holy crap, I think the easiest way to create wealth, if you don't have a repertoire of skill sets, you're not building a product, you're not an inventor, is arbitrage. Just arbitrage something. And ideally stuff at a higher price point. And you can kind of see how that was the catalyst to the land stuff. Um, but yes, was definitely a weirdo. I would say I was no longer deemed a weirdo than like three years ago, maybe. Man, I, I love that. And I like what you said, like the arbitrage for identifying essentially there's already a demand for this. I'm going to go find it at a lower price and yeah. bring it over to the marketplace. So yeah. before you got into land, how many businesses did you try? Like, is it like, hey, there's too many to keep count or was there like, <laughs> like yeah. I think I, I should know the exact number. I'm going to peg it somewhere between six and seven. Nice. So I, I, won't, I won't bore you with all of them. I'll give you kind of the highlight reel. So we had the photography business in high school. Uh, my senior year of high school, I started a pump and dump company. So we would uh, get paid by these like little penny stock companies on the OTC, over-the-counter exchange, like lower than the NASDAQ. Crappy companies. So these companies have like balance sheets with like 50 grand on them. They're still, still on a, a public exchange that we were getting emails on Facebook. We're running Facebook ads. This is back in the day, like on Facebook, you get emails for like 50 cents, right? Now I pay like 20 bucks. So we built up this email list and then we, they would pay us five or 10 or 15 grand to promote this stock via our email list. It's an extreme gray area. It's not illegal, but it's a, you're, you're towing a line with the SEC. So I did that. I did a few pumps. I was like, this is so sketchy. So I stopped doing that. But that was like really quick money, pretty easy money too, but sketchy money. Um, went to high school, tried to recreate, went to high school, went to college in San Luis Obispo, now my Cal Poly, tried to recreate the photography business, couldn't get it off the ground, got into the book business, book business, started a gym in San Diego after that. And I figured, let me go pursue my passions, right? I'm like, okay, we're making money, but I'm like, this doesn't seem like I'm doing anything the world actually needs, like flipping dusty textbooks. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I love. And up until that point, I discovered fitness. Opened up a gym in San Diego. I'm like, I'm just not making any money doing this. Like, how can I strike that balance of passion and income? Like, I'm like trying to find that, find that balance. Um, started doing online coaching. Came back from a, an internship. I went to an internship in Washington D.C. for a company called Raytheon, like selling missiles and stuff like that to governments. Really, really crazy situation. Um, and then 
that's how I got into the land business. I came back. I said, I've always been interested in real estate. And I always imagined real estate is like this wealth building. You make a lot of money. You preserve your money in real estate, right? And up to that point, I had made like my, the textbook business. We would do 15, maybe 30 grand a month. But I didn't really know how to keep that money, right? I, just, I would sit in a bank account. And I would like spend it or just do silly things. It wasn't investing. It was very, I could make the money. I couldn't keep the money kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, came back. I said, hey, you know, real estate's always been fascinating to me. I didn't really want to be an investor. So I said, you know what? Wholesaling, right? I was listening to all the bigger pockets. The, uh, uh, you know what's funny is actually back in the day. This is a, probably 2018, maybe 2019. I've never met Pace Morby, but I remember Pace Morby. I found, someone found him on Instagram, and he did a ride along. It's back when he's like taking random people in his car, and he did a ride along with one of my friends in San Diego. And I hit him up. I was like trying to find someone to, to show me the ropes of wholesaling. And during that time, I started door knocking. I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to also figure this out simultaneously. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. And so I door, door knocking in Poway, California, and it was a grind. Man, have you door knocked before? Dude, I literally started door knocking in COVID during in New York <laughs> during COVID. Oh, my gosh. Like, but dude, it's a, it is not for the faint of heart, man. I'll tell you <laughs> what. I thought I had thick skin, but good Lord. Uh, I was like, I was just getting beat up left and right. And so after a few weeks of doing that, I remember I came home. I started looking for tax delinquent lists. I wanted to find a tax delinquent list in San Diego. And I was just like, you know, I'm just going to write them some letters. And the tax delinquent list to get access on it, the, the San Diego County website was really hard. They had to like jump through all these hoops. So I just started poking around. I'm like, just searching county delinquent list. Just show me one anywhere. Maybe I'll just send letters to people and fill in the blank county. And I found a tax delinquent list in a, a county called Elko County. Have you ever heard of that? Nope. Dude, it's like as far north as you can get in Nevada. I mean, it, this place is like, it's like Mars, dude. It's like literally the middle of nowhere. There's probably like 2,000 people in the whole county. Um, the tax delinquent list was super accessible. It was just like a PDF on the county website. I'm like, oh, they made that easy. Download that. And I started going through it. I'm like, dude, most of this is just land. Like, There's like very few tax delinquent houses. I'm going to try that. Let's just see what happens. And so my girlfriend and I, for like a week, every night we'd bang out maybe 40, 50 letters each. Handwrite them. Lick them, look, stick them in there. And we sent out, I don't, I don't even remember the exact number, probably 200, 300 letters. And uh, I got a call back from it. And it was a guy that owned a piece of land. It's actually a, a son and his dad owned the land. His dad was an elder, elderly. And he's like, hey, my dad's not good on the phone, but we might be interested in selling. What's your offer? And I was just sending them neutral letters. Like there was no price on it. I didn't know what I was doing. I just said, I want to buy your property. And it was a five acre lot. I can't even remember what, what the math was that I came up. I came up with some, some weird some neurologic where I'm like, well, if I could buy it for like $200 an acre, $1,000, you can't really lose money on that. I mean, it's like 200 bucks for a five acre per acre. That seems like a pretty good deal. And I made them the offer. They turned it down and, and it ended up not panning out. But it was like when I compared that to my experience trying to wholesale, it was the first time I got any traction. First time yep. anyone was receptive in my little dance with real estate. And I just never looked back, man. Like all it takes for me, like just give me a little nudge, like a little light at the end of the tunnel. I'm like a street dog. I'll just stay on that forever. Um, but I'm not going to work blindly. Like the the wholesaling stuff, I just feel like I was just shooting in the dark. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like I was in a in a dark room crawling around. So long winded story, man. That's like the highlight reel. There's been all sorts of weird little businesses sprinkled throughout. Bro, you know what? I love that though because what's funny is that first off, you went through a phase, and there's it's like a chapter in your life where it's like, hey, you're trying to find the thing, trying to find the thing, trying to find the thing, and then when you finally catch something, all right, cool, we're locking in. Because I agree with you, I'm very similar. I think entrepreneurs are built and wired this way where people always ask me like, hey, why did I get into like the Milwaukee market with like my real estate portfolio yeah. and doing fix and flips? Like, were you born there? I'm like, no, that's just the first marketplace that treated me well. It's yeah. the first place that like gave me any sort of love and any sort of response. So I just went all in on the thing that was yeah. working. That's, yeah. there's no rhyme or reason behind it. Yeah. So you start getting into the land and you start to get like that. It doesn't turn into a deal, but it gives you like a little proof of concept that people are willing to have this conversation. Yeah, dude, it was, it was the first conversation I really had other than like a, I'm not interested in selling, get off my property kind of conversation. And I realized in that in that dynamic, I'm like, the bottleneck wasn't the fact that they weren't motivated. It was that I didn't know how to underwrite the deal. Mm-hmm. I gave them a bull, a bull crap offer. I don't know if I can cuss on here. And I decided to not do more research and, and kind of flesh it out. I just, I held strong at a thousand because I was, I was honestly scared. I'm like, I don't want to buy a bad deal. And at that point, I probably had like 10 grand in my bank account or something like that. Um so yeah, dude, it's funny that I think a lot of people sitting on the sidelines, they want to reverse engineer what we've done. And the assumption is, well, everything has a rhyme or a reason, right? Because there's people on the sidelines, they want, 
that cookie cutter answer. It's like, just do X, Y, and Z. Here's all the steps you go through as if it's like this set process. And it, it never is, dude. It never is. And that's a, that's a perfect example. So I went back to the drawing board. I said, you know, I'm going to figure out how to underwrite deals. And what I decided to do is I said, I'm going to underwrite the deals on the front end. So I'm going to go and find a market and I'm going to go say, cool, quarter acres in this market. It seems like they're trading for 10,000 bucks. I'm going to send out letters. I'm going to offer them 4,000, 5,000, something along those lines. And at that time, of course, I got the call back from the, the, the owner. I'm like, do other people do this whole land stuff? Started to go shopping around, started going on YouTube. I found a couple of like old school land investors that had like hundreds of videos. They've been doing it forever. I just started just engulfing their content. And I actually found a guy out there um, that had a template online. It was a purchase agreement template. It's an offer letter and a purchase agreement template. And I bought that template. I said, I'm going to get a nicer letter. I'm going to print this. I'm not going to handwrite this. I got a purchase agreement. I barely even knew what that was. I got a purchase agreement and I started applying prices to what I was going to offer. So I actually went, I said, you know, this is so spot on with your Milwaukee example. I said, Nevada is good to me. So I'm going to stay in Nevada just because I got one call back. I'm like, Nevada must be good. So I go and find a little town called Pahrump. You ever heard of that? No. Yeah. I mean, I'm throwing out all the weird towns for you tonight. <laughs> I would be surprised if you did. So it's, it's, uh, I, I actually marked my words though. I think Pahrump, not now, but at some point could be a good, good buy and hold market. Just saying. It's just, uh, maybe 45 minutes West of Vegas. And so everyone that's getting priced out of Vegas is kind of moving over that. That's becoming like the extension of the suburbs. Um, and so it's actually a really weird market. It was like a this crazy subdivision that was made, I think, in the 50s or 60s. And these developers went out there. They chopped up all the land into like tiny, like tenth of an acre to maybe a half acre, really small lots. A lot of them have no utilities. They're like miles away from utilities, can't be built on or not, not easily at least. And these developers, what they did is they chopped up the land. And then they would go and put people on the strip and they would get these tourists that are walking on the strip and they would pull them into like a timeshare room. And there's guys on there just hard closing, pitching people on these properties hard guys back in the, in the sixties and seventies were buying these quarter acre lots for like 20, 30 grand, which is wow. a ton of money back then. And now those same properties, when we were, we were selling them at like six, six grand, something along those lines. So that was actually one thing that kind of confused me. Cause I'm like, these things are trading at such low prices, but people had bought them for 20, 30, 40 grand way back in the day. But I just used the comp data. I just used the, the data of like, okay, this is what things were actually selling for. I found these quarter acre lots that were trading for know, four to six grand, depending on the proximity to utilities. And I made an offer at $1,027.27. That was the offer I put. Uh, but the logic was like, dude, if I'm really specific with the number, maybe they'll think it's like, it's a genuine offer. Like I really did my research. I sent out a, a little over a thousand letters. I paid a mail house out in San Bernardino. I think it cost me like 600 bucks or something like that. And uh, I didn't realize how direct, like how slow direct mail was. Like when I went and dropped off the packages is a little bit quicker. These took a while with the printing and the mailing. So I started getting antsy like the third week. And I remember when going to the gym, I pull up to LA fitness and I get a call from a husband and wife. It's a Filipino couple. They're looking to move back to the Philippines. They need money for a plane ticket. They said, our little lot out in Pahrump, if you can get us this close in the next week, we'll do it. That was it, man. I was hooked, 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 man. I was hooked. I found a notary. I sent them up a warranty deed. I said, get over there ASAP. Give them a cashier's check and close the deal. And frankly, I probably did everything wrong. I probably like legal description was wrong. Deed was messed up. I didn't care. Figured it out as I went. And that's the, that's the origin story, man. Bro, I, I love that. Right. And what I love is the, by the way, like that technique of making the numbers very oddly specific. Yeah. The same thing we do in real estate, like yep. the same thing we do with the residential houses. Right? It's never an offer for ninety thousand. It's yep. eighty nine thousand seven hundred and fourteen dollars and twenty seven cents. <laughs> it's literally like my first mentor taught me. He was like, "Whatever your offer is, just make it something that's not easily divisible by two, because then no smart. one ever questions it." And I was like, yeah. "That's genius." Well, dude, and, I, I think as a, I think just to add on to, I also think there's a specificity of having a number that maybe not divisible by two, and like you know, you have some sense on there. But also there's a psychology to numbers. And I really do believe this. And I've back tested it, not thoroughly, but a bit. Numbers that end in seven seem to convert better. I don't know mm -hmm. what that is. Um, so I, I really do think there's something to that. Absolutely. So you start figuring this out, right? Like it really is trial and error, but it's taking action. It's actually just doing the work. You, you figure like, hey, let me go and take a little bit of risk, see what happens. And you get this first deal, you get the, the homeowners saying or the landowners saying we're interested in selling and you start slapping the paperwork together, too. Right. Because I know I looked somewhere and you did basically your own TC work, which yeah. you, at this point in time, you're like, you would never do again. Yeah. But in the beginning, like you truly were just figuring it out. Yeah. I'm so All the man, I would go and go 
went and found an old deed at the with the county records. I, you know, how counties typically aren't supposed to give legal advice. I'm like pestering the lady at the front office, please tell me how to do this. And she finally caved and she was like, okay, I'll tell you off the record. This is how you format it. Make sure the legal description is a carbon copy. Like she gave me like the lowdown. Then there was like this ancillary document you had to record on top of it. I forget the name of it. And yeah, she showed me the ropes. And honestly, I probably still did most of it wrong, right? Um, and that's the interesting thing. I'm sure you experience this with folks that you interface with that are, that are new to real estate. Man, everyone wants everything to be perfect. You guys don't understand. You don't get that. That's a luxury. You get that through reps. You yep. never get that in the beginning. And just like that willingness to say, I'm going to suck. So what? I think that's like the only true skill I've ever had is like, I mean, we all have some level of ego, but my ego in terms of being good is pretty low. I'm just like, I will suck. I'll just suck longer than most. And that's okay. You know, and it's funny because I was just about to ask you, because that I think is one of the things that hold people back the most is it's almost like they forget that at some point they sucked at everything that they're now good at. And I think the only thing that I ever have going for me is I just remember, no, like yeah. I've never been naturally talented at anything. I've just been willing to keep doing it long enough until it worked. Yeah. So do that. And that's, that's like, honestly, one of the most, empowering things especially i don't know what your your upbringing was like or your childhood but like when you were starting kind of the bottom in all capacities like you've just known what it's like to suck longer sometimes the people that have had they've been good at everything there's such a fear of being bad that it prevents them from ever doing it yo i've been bad at everything my whole life since the beginning i just got really comfortable with that you know i was i was 117 pounds my senior year of high school like i was small i wasn't smart i had none of those things so just getting comfortable with that, you know, I think it's a real, it's actually, I look back and I'm like, it's an immense blessing. That's funny, man. I think we had very similar origin stories. So yeah. you start to get this traction. You start to figure out this deal. By the way, how did that first deal work out? So you put it on the contract for a little over 1100 bucks yep. and properties in the area selling for, you said about 6,000. What were yep. you able to do with that first property? Yeah. So actually I just saw the the numbers on it recently. I was going back and looking at old, old KPIs. We sold it for 2,700. I sold it on Facebook. So part of like the part of the ethos with what we do, land is so different than like single family houses um, or really any other real estate asset. A, there's so much supply of land out there. Our biggest roadblock is not like the supply of finding deals, just the demand. Right. So we have to work. We have to be really exclusive with like working in the right markets where there's a ton of demand, there's limited supply. But even beyond that, there's still a finite number of buyers at any given time. That's like our biggest roadblock in the land business. It's easy to buy. It's harder to sell. Um, so part of what we have to do is like price is kind of the easiest lever to get things moved beyond a few other things that we started to, to kind of wisen up to. But in the beginning, I was like, I'll just sell it cheaper than anyone else. I sold it for 2,700 bucks, sold it on Facebook, sold it to a lady uh, out in Minnesota. Still to this day, I'm shocked she trusted me. Like, honestly, I was so, so ignorant. I didn't know how to close a property or sell it to someone else. Um, we got on a phone call. She's like, yeah, I'm going to move out there. She's like, Kind of running away from something i don't know what it was but she was like just kind of on on the move she had to get this property asap paypal made the money did what i said i was going to do recorded the deed and never heard from her again <laughs> Dude, people were like getting anxiety listening to this I like, know. Like, this one was paypal like, you guys didn't go through title you didn't go through i feel like most people don't realize how bad you can do real estate. I'm like, imagine PayPaling a closing. That's just, and of course, smaller denominations here than like a, a typical house, but it's hilarious what you can get away with. I think most people don't even realize that you can close your own deals. You don't even have to go through a title company, nope. right? So I, I love that. I, I'm curious, right? Because I think that's the, the thing that goes through most people's minds, like especially like me, right? Sumner, I grew up in New York, in right by like the Metropolitan. I was in Long Island, right next to Manhattan, millions of people. I'm always surrounded by suburbs, always surrounded by buildings. I wasn't in a rural area. And when we yeah. think about land as like a New Yorker, I think about, man, who's ever buying land in the middle yeah. of, in essence, nowhere, right? Because relative to me, yeah. it feels like the middle of nowhere. So who are those buyers? Because I think that's what people worry about. Like, well, Sumner, what do, who do I sell this land to? Who's actually going to want to buy this yeah. land? Dude, the million dollar question. And one thing that I have to say before we go any further Land investing seems like such like an overarching, like, oh, that's just a strategy. Bro, there are so many sub niches within there. For example, I'm partnering on a deal right now that's an entitlement deal. So we're taking a 25 acre lot. We're getting uh, two homes per lot, so 50 units. We're doing all the, the paper stuff. We're selling it off to the developer, right? So like you could have like more B2B type transactions and we do those. That's not like 
is a newer strategy for us. And then you have extreme B2C transactions, like selling it to someone on Facebook to, to PayPal. You know, really, if you look at our land investing strategy and what we teach, we call it a mid-market strategy. So we don't do the self-closings anymore. That's a whole whole different strategy that we don't recommend. The average deal we do is between 25K, 250K. We do what's called rural recreational land. So one to five hours outside of like a somewhat major metro. It doesn't have to be New York City, but like something that's kind of metropolitan. Typically, call it five to 100 acres, somewhere in that range. Might have utilities, might not have utilities. And like what's cool about these properties is there's a ton of different use cases. Could be just land banking, buy and hold. We get a lot of those. People that want to build a home. People that just want the security of knowing that they own land. People that want to do it, um, to go shoot guns on the weekend or, or drive quads or whatever it may be. So use cases are, are pretty unlimited. That's why we love rural recreational land. And it really fares pretty well no matter what's going on. There. Like We even saw during COVID, I mean, all real estate went crazy. But what we saw even before the big boom is like people were flocking to land because there's fear in the market. But there's hard asset you can hold on to. You can grow food on it. You can live on it. Can't get that with a gold bar or a piece of Bitcoin, right? Uh, so there's real utility to it. But the average buyer for us, I would say, actually, before I, before I tell the average buyer, I think one thing that most people forget is you look at the history of this country, owning land was like the ultimate symbol of pride. It was the ultimate you made it. In fact, you couldn't even vote up until certain points unless you were a landowner. Wow. But land ownership is deeply entrenched into like the ideology of being American, right? The average land buyer for us, typically going to be 40 years old, Plus, um, you know, one of those people that has has money, but maybe it's all in cash or like it's like a tradesman. They're like a skilled laborer. They, they may have their own business. They're not like super affluent, but they've been smart with their money. They've like stacked away their chips. They kind of live more on the off grid side of things. Um, just good old boys, honestly. <laughs> like People just want to live a simpler life. Right. Uh, we get a lot of first generation Americans who like for them, it's just a huge accomplishment to own land. What I will say, though, is that like as you start sliding in closer to the metro areas, your buyer pool really opens up and you, you get a little bit of everything. We have doctors, lawyers, CEOs buying land from us. But like the real rural recreational stuff that I started with that's in the middle of nowhere, it's a very specific kind of buyer. Nowadays, though, because like the, the strategy that we go after is more of that mid-market strategy, to find those price points, we've slowly started inching closer and closer to the metropolitan areas. So like our dream situation is like two hours outside of Phoenix, right? You go east of Phoenix or south of Phoenix, go buy a 40-acre out there. You've got a big buyer pool in that metropolitan area, and it really, you really have a lot of different people that want to come and buy from you. One of the cool things that we do beyond marketing the property well and, and pricing it intelligently is we offer terms, right? So most land buyers, if it's like under a quarter mil, the bank's typically not going to lend on it. Unless it's like a really cool local regional bank and they've got a great relationship. Usually a quarter mil plus, you can start getting uh, bank financing. So we'll carry a note. We can keep that note. We've got hundreds of notes that pay us 100 to 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks a month. That makes up a small part of our revenue, but it's a consistent you know, 30K a month of recurring revenue. Um, or we can sell that note and we can get a you know 80% payment off the note's value. And so you, got, you have a lot of flexibility. There's a ton of note buyers that want that land. Um, so yeah, man, there's, there's a lot more to unpack there. Do you want me to go further on the land strategy side of things? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, man, because it's fun. Like what's interesting is, with the land, and this is what I want to open people's eyes up to, is realizing that land can be so diverse, right? The fact that you can create cash flow from land, I think a lot of people don't ever think about that without ever having to actually put a structure on it by simply create a finance link, putting the, the actual deal together, right? Yeah. Being able to buy it cheap enough that you in turn can be the bank for these other people who can't get financing for it, which allows you to actually even bump your price up even higher. Yeah. So I, I love that piece. And I want to understand more so on what I want to share with people is like, what's the thought process, even as you're looking like, all right, well, two hours outside of Phoenix, like why? Like what's the yeah. rationale behind being outside two hours outside of a Metro? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. What I will say is it's not always like this perfect. It's like a, a distance metric. It's, it's more of a demand metric. So we actually created a software platform about three months ago that goes and quantifies all the counties and zip codes in the US and it creates heat maps or, or databases like lists, whatever you want. What we what we gauge is what we call sell-through rate. So sell-through rate rate says, hey, if there's 10 properties that sold in the last 30 days, there's 100 properties actively available, there's a 10% sell-through rate. So our metrics is like, typically we want to see at least a 10 to 15% sell-through rate, typically a 15% and above every single month. So we know that inventory is turning at a really consistent clip and we can look at that over a year, two, three, four years you know, really at the end of the day, this is a data business and then it's just sales and marketing. So there's actually a ton of data with what we do. It's actually, it's all data driven. 
So when we go start poking around in counties or zip codes, the data tells us, well, this has got a strong sell-through rate. Now, one of the things that we have to balance with sell-through rate is like the, the demand has to be appropriate. So we're not just buying an asset at a discount. There's also an internet marketing component to it because a lot of these are B2C transactions. We need to get consumers' eyeballs on it to sell a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you go look at a, a market like some place in Florida. Dude, there could be 5,000 pieces of vacant land in that county actively listed right now. What that means is day three or day four being listed, you're, you're gone. Like People don't even see your listing anymore, even if you're well-priced and all that stuff. So we have to drive eyeballs. We have to market it correctly. And we have to syndicate the listing to get as many eyeballs as possible. Um, so we let the data lead us. Typically, like rough math, if you guys want to know, 15% and above for a sell-through rate in a 30-day period. It's a really good benchmark. And then typically 50 to 250 properties actively listed. is kind of our sweet spot. And we stack other things. What's the under contract sell-through rate? So what percentage of that inventory is under contract currently? We go look at the percentage of -of out-of-state owners, out-of-county owners. You start stacking all these filters. The tool we built, you just essentially toggle your inputs. But you could do this on Redfin and just crunch the numbers. That's how we used to do it old school. Um, So yeah, man, we let the the data tell us. That typically, and one thing that we have to balance is the the market has to have the inventory we want. So if I wanted to find the best sell-through rate, I mean, maybe it's smack dab in the middle of LA, but they don't have the kind of deals we buy. So one thing that's really important is we're not real estate investors. I know most real estate investors are opportunists. They're deal makers. It's not what we do. This is just a business where land is the widget that we sell. And it happens to be in real estate, but it's not really like a true real estate investing business. And so we're very specific with we only sell this kind of widget. We only sell rural rack land or this kind of land. There's a few different sub-strategies. And we build essentially a conveyor belt to do that. We just build the SOPs and the people and just put land on it. Six months later, cash hits your bank account. Like it really is kind of like this crazy assembly line that you build out. But to do that, you have to be very specific with the metrics for what markets you will work in, the kind of land that you will buy, things like that. And so really like what we've created for our students and, and, and for the folks inside our community, just like a business in a box. Like I stumbled across what I think works really well. It's just it's just math and it's just people. And it's just the systems. And you just plop that somewhere else. As long as you have capital to put into that system, it works pretty well. You know, Sumner, I got to give you some props right there for what yeah. you just said, because the fact that you labeled your business, right? Like this isn't a real estate investing business. This is more so a marketing and sales business. Yeah. And our asset, the, the product that we're pushing out there is essentially land. Like that's the product. But at the end of the day, it's marketing and it's sales. Yeah. And I think that reframing helps people get out of the frustration and get into a better understanding of what they need to be focused on building. I, I love that. Very few people understand that about like their wholesale business because it's the same thing with residential homes. It's the same thing with a lot of business. If you don't understand marketing, getting the eyeballs, and you don't understand sales, actually getting somebody to convert after they look at your product in yeah. a meaningful time, you're going to struggle as a business owner because enough not isn't coming in. Yeah. And so the fact that you built out a system as well from, and let me get this straight. Like you're essentially, if I heard you correctly, you're backwards engineering mm-hmm. your buyers. Like you're figuring out where the demand, where your buyers are. And that's ultimately like kind of what's now because you've done this a little bit more, you've had time to think and be a little bit more intelligent with your approach versus just shotgunning it. You're now going to where the demand already is. And then you're you're going and getting inventory for an already hungry crowd. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, exactly. It's way easier to serve meals to people that are hungry, right? I think like what I ran into is, it, it, this business is relatively easy to acquire deals, like way mm-hmm. easier than wholesaling or any of that stuff. But I'd always get myself in these situations where I buy all these deals and like the math looked good, but I had to like shove it down people's throat for them to buy it or take six months to move it. Like for our students, the average turn time is about 50 days, cash in, cash out. Um, back in the day, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was buying podunk properties in the middle of nowhere that would take way longer. Some stuff took a year to move. Luckily, we've never been stuck with a property, right? It all does move. Like there really is a buyer for all this stuff, even the weirdest stuff out there, which is shocking to me. Um, but yeah, it's just a data play, man. It's just a, it's just a data play. And then you just got to build the machinery and stuff capital into marketing and stuff capital into deals if you want to close on them. And you don't even have to do that. You can do all sorts of additional things. And so that's it, man. It's a really, it's, it is the simplest business. Now, like any business, it's not easy. There's, there's, there's pros and cons and there's friction, and there's pain points, but it, it's pretty simple. Yeah, I love that. I think it's simple when you understand what you're looking at. I think yeah. it gets really complicated when you think you're doing one thing, but you're actually doing something else. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this question. As you started to grow, right, you went from being a solopreneur to now running a team. Yeah. Can we talk about that transition? Because that's something where I see a lot of people, they never quite make that transition. They stay in the realm of self-employed. They stay in the realm of solopreneur. And the biggest struggle somewhere that they run into is, 
you know, I'm afraid I'm going to teach somebody everything that I'm doing and they're going to run off. Everyone that I've ever trained just runs off and does their own thing. You know, is that an issue that you ran into or is that something that you're still overcoming or have you been able to figure that out with the team that you built? Like, what does that look like or what has that look like for you? Yeah, dude, I, I, this is one of those things where I feel like self-awareness is probably important because I feel like I was uniquely good at it off the, off the rip. And I don't mean to say that like, Oh, look at me. But I, I just, it just, I'm like, it just was, I mean, it didn't come obvious in previous businesses. I tried hiring people and it flopped. So I will say I had a few at bats that didn't go well, but when I came into Atlanta, like it was, there's just no shadow of a doubt. I knew I needed people and I just was, and I think I had enough reps and pain to know that I'm not going to do this alone. And I got a bit lucky in terms of finding great people, not initially, but with enough practice. And I just looked at it in terms of, again, it's a sales and marketing business to find people. I just started kind of building a hunt funnel, marketing to get the right people, and then selling them on why to why to work with us and continuing to sell them on why they should work with us by creating really powerful incentives. But I've always just thought people run, run on incentives, like just fucking give them something good, right? And like and, and put a carrot at the end of the stick that's actually exciting. And so I think I've I've been really, really, really fortunate, man. Like I will say every business that I run, which We've got our land business, we've got the coaching business, and we've got a software company. I've got people in every single one of them. And I've in each business, there's uniquely a few key players or one key player that makes it all run. And when I look at that, I feel like that's, that was luck. Every business would not work without one of those key players inside of it. So been really, really lucky there. Um, dude, I don't know. I also think that like for a lot of people that I interface with on the land side, it's probably the same for you. Being a land investor or a wholesaler or getting into real estate, a lot of times for these newer folks, this is their first dance with, with entrepreneurship. That mm-hmm. I'm like reading Warren Buffett's shareholder letters when I'm 18. Like, I, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I just had a lot of studying going on too, man. So I think it, it was a little more known to me. Now, the fear of, of people taking your stuff, I've just found that to be unfounded. I've never once had that in any situation. I've ha- I have realtors walk properties with sellers that we don't, we're not under contract yet, or we're going to double close. We're like, I just put a lot of trust in people and, and there's been some incidents, but nothing, nothing too major. The pain though, has been losing people. In fact, I just lost one of my most like tenured employees two weeks ago. And that's really tough. That I still don't know how to combat with a, because churn is, is painful to any business. Like it costs a ton, but also I just, dude, I, the people on my team are family. I love them. And so to have, have someone up and leave, that's tough. And, the more our team has grown, I think we have like 18 or 19 people between the three companies, the more that happens. So there's just the same percentage, but some, there's just going to get more quantity of people churning and that shit sucks. And I really don't know what, this, what the solution is. I'm trying to figure that out currently. Um, so I don't know if that was helpful at all, but I, I, I am such a big proponent of bringing people in. I like, I'm personally more of like, a, like an employee-employer guy than like a partnerships guy. I'm not against partnerships either. If that's your style, do it. You need people to walk this path with, not even just because like the, the increase in productivity and the leverage that you can create. And the fact that I think two minds are greater than you know the, the value of one mind, like the sum is greater than its parts kind of thing. But also this stuff's pretty boring if you're doing it solo, like the fulfillment of seeing your team win or winning together. Oh, it's camaraderie, man. I love it. You know, I, I got to say something, right? I, I think, you know, you said you're, you're lucky with the people that you found, but from what I've known of you so far, it's like it's you create culture, right? Like you you have this conviction about you and you have this energy about you that people want to come and be around that. And the fact that there's also incentives in place, which means you're having typically it sounds like a conversation with them where you're asking them like, hey, I know what we as a company want, like we want to make more money. We want to do more business. We want to do X, Y and Z. But it sounds like you're also asking them, hey, what do you want? And is this going to be a good fit? Can this position inside our organization help you get to where you want to go because we're going to be expecting you to help us get to where we want to go yeah 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 i think i i, I appreciate the, the kind words and it's i sometimes it's easier to see that looking out than looking in kind of thing so i, I do appreciate that and i'm sure look we all have our own luck in some ways and and, and it could be luck and skill i don't really know either way if that is the truth i got lucky for for being able to do that so there's there's luck involved however you slice it but yeah, dude, I think when it comes to the hiring side of things, I worked one job. I worked one sales job, which was a great learning experience, honestly. Like, I know everyone says that. I did learn a lot. Uh, and I think sales is a great place to start because like like we talked about, every business is sales and marketing. So learn yeah. the sales. Then if you learn how to sell to one person, marketing is just doing that to a lot of people. So it's like kind of the same principles. You're just doing it at, at more of a scale. 
but I remember at that job, I was selling design services. So it was like an agency. Dude, I brought home like a million plus dollars in sales. And I think my commission was like 30K for the year on that or something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think it was about 3%. I just thought, dude, that it made me leave. I'm like, dude, if you guys gave me 15%, I might have stuck around longer and been a been a producer. And so I think it's kind of that just left me jaded. One of our sales guys in July made made 15k and 12k the month before. So like, you know, pay your people well. I think though that like, yeah, figuring out what they want and what you want and lining those up together, uh, I'm a big believer in. And obviously, some roles you can't have incentive. It gets a little tricky, but. Mm-hmm. I think you can have it in more roles than, than you can. You know, and what I like is you're you're a fan of business, right? Not just this one particular vehicle, but you're a fan of overall business. And you studied the guys like Warren Buffett. Uh, I'm curious to know who are some of the people that you look up to in the world of business that you essentially model after, if any at all. Yeah, I think it, it ebbs and it flows, dude. It definitely ebbs and it flows. I mean, there's all the classics. I like, I mean, Al Tremosi, who doesn't like him? Awesome guy. I like his take on business. He's just just kind of a realist. I appreciate that. Warren Buffett, even though people look at him as an investor, probably one of the greatest businessmen ever. The guy is a first principles thinker. Like he can just break things down to their core components. And if you're going to buy tons of businesses, I think you know a lot about business. He knows a lot about just human psychology. You know, as I've gotten older, though, I feel like like, I feel like when I when I didn't have much, I wanted things so bad. I just like things. I just want money and success and power, like all the all the, the things that you think you really want. That you mm-hmm. turns out to not really move the needle that much. And now I don't even can't even necessarily cite perfect examples, but I appreciate people that are successful and still healthy, healthy across the board, not just physically, mentally. Like people that are spiritual, people that are in touch with the world, people that have good relationships with their wife, with their husband, their kids, their family. Because the truth is, you look at a lot of those quote unquote business idols behind closed doors, their lives are fucked up. And yep. I don't think that's cool. I used to think that was cool. Especially not what I idolize, man. So I, I think that we always talk about being a specialist and you got to specialize. And I think there's some truth to that. But I think I like people that are good people across the board. And despite that, have had to sacrifice being a performer and, and, and like progressing and growing. So, dude, I wish I could cite like a perfect example as who that is. I don't even think of I can't even say think of one off the top of my head. The cool thing about reading and podcasting and all that stuff is like you can merge worlds together and kind of create your own idol. So right now I'm reading hundred million dollar leads. I'm reading a book on the science of meditation, I'm reading a book on quantum physics. And I'm like, I love all of this. Just put it to one. And you know, it's kind of representation of who you are. Summer, I think you just like verbalized why I resonated with you so much. <laughs> the first time we communicated the first time we yeah. spoke, because that's the truth. You're finding the different pieces inside of, places and people and circumstances and situations. And you're ultimately pulling the things into your world that you're like, Hey, this seems like it's going to be a best fit. And I love that mix of like, Hey, can I be successful? And also holistically like a principled man where I stick to my principles. I don't sacrifice these and I still earn a lot of money doing so. Yeah. Yeah, man. We're on the same page. So I want to know this for you, right? As you were going through all of this, there's always the, the ups and downs, right? And typically we, it's social media, right? We typically share our highlights, not because we want people to believe our lives are perfect, but it's just human nature. We want to share the good times, right? Like I want to, when something good happens in my life, I want to share it with my friends and family. However, there's always dark moments that occur along the road to success, along the road to really any goal. What were some of the toughest challenges you faced while you were growing any of your businesses and what were the lessons you learned from it? Oh, that's a good question. Dude, I think I'll, I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be uh, very, very real with you if you don't mind. I think it hopefully helps other people out there too. I would say I'm in a dark moment right now, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't recognize it. And I, I try not to always wear it on my sleeve. Um, I don't know how to sum it up in words. I think as as I've launched more businesses and as our, the teams have grown, you just have a higher quantity of problems. There's just more friction. There's just more things that break. And with that, the highs are high. Like the growth is like growth. And we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. But you can't expect that it's just going to be that. And I think that my psychology hasn't caught up to that. And I've just been getting my face kicked up the last few weeks, just across on every level, every business, every level, almost every day. And I noticed that like what was causing the pain was I had so much attachment to things staying the same. And there was so, it's like the little kid in me was so scared for things to change that it literally felt like I might die. I literally felt like 
I will die. And I wasn't thinking these things literally, but it's what it felt like mm-hmm. if, um, if there's, if there's too much change. And I think I really, for me, it's been looking at all the things that I have deep, deep attachment to anything. Oh, you've done the work. Well, no, you, it's never done, dude. You're always doing the work. I mean, anyone that says like, oh, I'm good. I've done the work. Come on. Um, and so, dude, I just think that like, just really objectively looking at all the pain and frustration in my life always comes from attachment. That always comes from it and learning how to, what does that feel like to detach? And I've gotten, um, more consistent with meditating. And one of the things that I think about that seems like such a perfect analogy to me is I've been meditating and I sit in a little lotus position and my fucking ankle always hurts so bad. Like my ankle's like smashed on the ground or like it's just like crooked and like you don't move for a long time. And you don't realize like, you know, you just see me sitting here, how much moving I do to always adjust my body. When you're just sitting like a rock, it, things start to really hurt. And I just start feeling that pain there. And I'm like, God, so much of that, like, I want to label it, I want to identify it. It's my pain. It hurts. I need to change this right now. I'm like, what if I just look at that as like, it's just pure sensation. It's not pain. Pain, pain is my own purview on it. That's just sensation. And that the craziest thing, dude, is that pain starts to melt into borderline pleasure. You just feel like, what, what is pain? Well, pain is really a label. What I'm actually feeling is some tinglingness, some hotness, some some tension in my in my ankle. That's not pain. That's my own view on pain, you know? And so just releasing these attachments to these things that we want to label, or we want to say the same. That's, dude, that's hard. I'm still going through it. I, don't, I, don't, I know how to speak about it. I don't really know how to do it. Um, so, dude, that's been a big one for me. And I think that I have uh, I had, a, I had a, a great childhood in a lot of ways. Love my parents. Love my family. But I had a lot of hardship, too. Not, it's not, I'm not new to feeling emotional distress or emotional pain. But this is, this is definitely uprooting some things from my childhood that I just frankly don't think I was ready to deal with. And I look at that as an invitation to become the man that I was meant to be. Sumner, I, I got to say, man, first off, thank you. I appreciate you sharing that because these are the sort of honest conversations. In my opinion, this is what the podcast is for. Yeah. It's for these sort of conversations because people go through this and the amount of people that I talk to and we have a conversation like this and they say, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. Yeah. And because they thought they were the only one, they don't they just put the mask on and they just go about like pretending like, you know, it's fine. I'll figure it out when I get home, when I'm by myself, I'm not going to talk to anyone about it. Cause I'm the weird one. And it's just like, no, like you're a human, you're having a human experience. And I love what you said, right? Like that perception of sitting down and actually something I'll share this with you a few weeks back. I, I was actually going through my own like little trial. Of my, I call it winter time. I was going through my own personal winter. And I just remembered like, same thing. It's like two weeks back to back. Like I'm waking up almost with anxiety about mm-hmm. deals that are going on. This house is happening. This business partner is doing this. And I call up a buddy of mine and I'm just like, yo, dude, like I need to talk to you right now. And he's like, all right, let's go. And not you. I'll explain everything. He says, dude, everything that's going right now, it's not good. It's not bad. It's an experience. Yeah. Look at it as an experience and just neutralize it as an experience. Look at it from a very neutral standpoint. Exactly what you just explained. And then we stop labeling it and we just start analyzing and observing it. Yeah. And we start to separate from it, which is easier said than done. I love like, that's the person having that awareness of knowing that it's possible. And then it's also having that willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to use my own mental faculties to change the perception, to change the meaning of this circumstance that I'm looking at, of this situation that I'm going through. Yeah. So I, I love that you share that, man, because it's powerful, man. It is. Dude, are you are you into the sto- uh, stoicism by chance? Or have you ever read like Marcus Aurelius or any of that stuff? I have. Yeah, man. I, I love stoicism. I think it's like that that same concept. It's like everything in the universe is on balance. Like it's not it's not good or bad. But man, for our human, for the, the little human brain we got, it's tough. And I think honestly, a lot of what I've been thinking about recently, I'm like, dude. I've got like this old ass, like 2000 year old brain that has not caught up to like where I'm at today, you know, and then to, to, to ascend and to grow and to, to tap into other parts of your brain, other parts of your, your consciousness and your thinking requires work that mm-hmm. does not just get served up to you. And it's, it's real work, man. It's real work. So I, I, I think that, you know, for me, as I've gotten older, I've started to realize that so much of, of healing is just sharing like two years ago, I never would have shared this. Right. So thank you for providing the space. Thanks for listening, man. Yeah, man. And thank you for sharing authentically because as we go through our own healing, you're giving permission to others to do the same. 
And so I love it. And, you know, you and I, we're going to have a dialogue offline because there's like a whole, you know, I'm happy to open up and share with you. I just got to be respectful of the time because, you know, there's something that like I believe a pathway to that deeper understanding is actually that trauma and that pain. And ultimately, and this is a personal belief that when we pray and we ask for a bigger, better, greater life to become more, you know, God, the universe, whatever anyone wants to label that force says, all right, I got you. Let me put you on the path. And that path looks like walking into a very dark cave. And then instead of running back out of the dark cave, because it's like, oh, it's dark in here. I know where the light already is. It's going deeper into the darkness and being committed to going through the darkness and that process in and of itself, in my opinion, is where you start to discover the light internally and then the mm. light starts to project out on the other side. And mm. it's that's a, a great analogy, it's a, man. It's a journey. I like <laughs> and I, I love when I get to talk to other people who have gone through it because yeah. there's a look in a person's eye when yeah. you talk to them that you can tell like, hey, this is a person who's walked into their own cave and they kept yeah. walking. Yeah, Dude, that, that is an amazing, amazing analogy. You know, it's funny. I. I uh, I never was not religious. I never was religious necessarily. Like my parents, like never brought me up with a certain belief that I had to follow. But in the last month, I've been praying every day. You know, I don't care what you call it. I, I don't assign to Christianity and whatever. But I think that that's been a that's been a that's been a takeaway. Honestly, maybe I've been ne- neglecting my relationship with with Source or higher power or God. And this is that kind of awakening. And it's been amazing, man. So that's a silver lining. There's always a silver lining. It's, it's been reuniting me with, with, with what created all this, you know. Bro, so. bro, I love the mindset and I love your openness to to exploration and to growth. Yeah. So I want to be respectful of your time because this is a fun conversation. I can literally yeah. be talking to you for like two more hours. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I want to wrap it up with these two final questions. Come. The first one is for me, books absolutely helped change my life. I mean, I see a library right behind you. I've got my own library like behind that wall. And they created a paradigm shift for me. They opened me up to new ideas, to new opportunities that I didn't even know existed. I want to know for you, have there been any books, podcasts, or videos that were game changers that after you read it once, your mind never quite went back to being the same? So I know them distinctly, actually. It's a great question. And none of them are business related. The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I read that when I was 19. Yeah. I can't say I'm perfect in, the, in being present, but changed my whole worldview instantly. Uh, Altered Traits. I actually don't know what the author's name is. Really, really cool book. Um, third book, man. Let me look at this library back here. It's a tough, tough, tough choice. <laughs> oh, man. I, the, to pick a third one is tough. Untethered Soul. Amazing book. The actual, the biography of ben, Benjamin Franklin, I, I love, 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 love biographies. I love learning from people's stories opposed to just getting the lessons told to me. Yep. Dude, I don't know, man. That's a tough thing to, to nail down a third book. We'll, we'll, we'll reorientate. I'll say a video. Pretty much any video by Joe Dispenza, any of his longer talks or meditations, amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. That guy's done such a good job distilling down these these older philosophies he's applied science to them like they've actually tested this stuff if you like that and he just distills it down in a great fashion so anything joe dispenza i'll give it that's my top three right there bro i i love it man and dr joe dispenza phenomenal phenomenal human the first time i listened to him and he was describing some of the most nuanced unique situations that i've experienced in my own life that like no one else had experience. And then like, he's like talking about it. Like he was there with me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Bro, like, who is this dude? So like, I, I love that. Yeah. My second question to you is one of my favorite questions. I ask everybody that comes on the show. I want you to imagine somewhere that tomorrow you wake up and as you're coming to, you don't remember any of the experiences you've had, right? You're a blank slate. You don't remember the books you've read, the businesses you start, the friends you've met, the adventures you've gone on, the ups, the downs, nothing. Blank slate. Now you're not freaking out. It's not a Saw movie. So you're not scared for your life or anything like that. You're pretty calm. And as you start to open your eyes and come to, a thought begins to come to you. And when that thought comes to you, you don't question it at all. You just fully accept it, 100% faith in it. No one can ever convince you that this thought is wrong. What would you prefer this first thought to be that would start the rest of everything else? Oh, man. That is a freaking, <laughs> that's a loaded question. 
what what would be the first thought I would wake up if what would be the first first thought I would have if I was waking up in that situation as a blank slate? What would you ideally want that thought to be? Like what you I ideally want to be. Dude. I mean, honestly, I think it, it it's it's so hard for me to not be biased by what I'm feeling currently. And I think I'll draw it back to what I was talking about before. I think something along the lines of all suffering is 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 through the root of attachment, right? And I I think that's really relevant to me because getting into the entrepreneur game, like most people, money's the scoreboard, right? So attached to a certain amount of my bank account, certain amount of revenue, certain amount of growth, obsessed with it. Not because I'm like materialistic, but I just like it, it's the scoreboard, right? And I put that on a pedestal for so long. And my attachment to it has definitely been extremely detrimental to almost all areas of my life, right? And I just think that you can play this game and not be attached to the outcomes, not be attached to it going a certain way. And that's been a really tough pill for me to swallow. I think most people that are entrepreneurial, they're kind of in the same world as us. You bend will to your, your, your to your like bend reality to your will. Like you like you literally change the world, and by doing that, you're 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 used to um, things going your way, I guess, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And frankly, there's just parts of life that can't go your way, right? I look back on, on the goals. It's like, well, I accomplished that, I accomplished that. So everything should go my way. No, 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 no. There's things that are way outside of your control that your attachment to it going a certain way is causing you so much so much pain. And I look back at every pain in my life, breakups, this, that, hurt feelings. It was all too unattached to the person, to the idea. And so, yeah, man, and that's a lesson that I am trying to distill down every day. So I think something along those lines. Honestly, to give you an accurate answer, I probably need a noodle on that for like 12 months. That was a big question. But I'll leave you with that for today. Yo, Sumner, honestly, that was a fire answer. And I, I love that because it's an honest answer. It's the yeah. truth of where you're coming from. And truly, I think it has the power to help people because as I was listening, I'm right there with you, yeah. right? The ability to learn detachment, to not lock yourself in so much to the, to the result, yeah. that's powerful because we do lose ourselves. Even if the thing that we want is what we consider good, yeah. right? Just being overly attached to anything can ultimately lead to a destruction. It can lead yeah. to failure. Yeah. Well, but, that's the thing too, is like when you put things on this pedestal, you instantly create duality. You instantly create the opposite. Mm -hmm. So if this is so good and it starts looking like it's not going there, well, what's the antithesis of good? It's bad. And now you just created a bad situation that never had to be bad, you know? And so... Yeah, I, I think anyone that's in this game long enough will start to, to feel that. I think even if you're not an entrepreneur, just as a human, as you grow older, you realize all of the pain you've ever felt. Is yeah, Dude, I, I love how self-reflective you are, man. It's it's refreshing. And by the way, it's one of my favorite things when I ask that question to yeah. watch a person stop and think. Yeah, yeah. It is a I would be a little surprised if someone just knew that right off the bat, you know. Very rarely I get someone that just like kind of spits an answer out. And it's always yeah. funny because a few days later, they'll give me a phone call and they'll actually tell me, hey, you know that question you asked me? Yeah. It's been in my head. And they've yeah. been thinking more about the answer. Dude, I've never been asked anything that remotely looks like that question. That was a, that was a good question. Appreciate it. So yeah. Summer, for the people that have been listening now for an hour and they're like, yo, these guys, I like these guys. I like this Summer dude. He's a cool guy. They yeah. like, they resonate with you and they want to get connected. Where's the best place for someone to go to connect with you, especially if they want to learn more about land? Like, what's the best yeah. way for them to plug in? Yeah, uh, I'm a YouTube guy. I'm not a good social media person by any stretch of the imagination, but I've made over a thousand YouTube videos in the last 12 months. So if you just search my name, Sumner Healy or Manifestor.co on YouTube, I've literally given away the farm. Like, really, the only reason people pay us is for implementation. I've given it all away. You can go find all of it there if you want to learn about it or add it to your portfolio, add it to your repertoire. Um, if you want to get a little more engaged, hang out with me and almost a thousand other land investors, go to landinvestor.co slash discord. Uh, you can get into our free discord. I hear every day it's the most popping discord for land investors. There's not many of them out there, of course, but it's super cool. We've, you can see all of our students wins in there, the, all the ins and the outs. And we've got folks in there that are coming in day one. Maybe they just got a contract. Maybe they don't have a contract yet. We, we walk them through it. Like, I, I'm not a big believer in gating content or gating ideas. And I think my belief is just give it all away. Dude, give it all away. We literally have people that say, Sandra, I've made a hundred grand, 200 grand from watching your YouTube videos. I want to pay you now. Like, I think that's the best way to, to get people into your ecosystem. Just give it away. Uh, 
Sumner Healy on Instagram. Don't send me a DM there. I never check them. So <laughs> that's a little bit of a lowdown. Yo, Sumner, I got to say, man, thank you so much for being here today. Guys, make sure you go and connect with Sumner. I'm going to put all of his contact information. I'm going to put the Discord. I'm going to put the YouTube channel. I'm going to put the IG in the description down below. So just go click on it. Go plug in. And do me a favor. If you got value from this episode, go ahead and screenshot this and tag me and tag Sumner. I want to know what you learned, what stood out to you. And it might be land and it might just be life. And if it's life, I'm more, I'm even more excited to like hear what you have to say. So, guys, I appreciate you all for being here. And we'll see you on the next episode of Into the Mind. Sumner, looking forward to having you back on, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, I got a billion dollar mindset.